Happy Palm Sunday. The only thing I forgot this morning were the palms. We brought our own palms. <laughs> we can use these to worship the Lord. I want to talk to you today about a time to cheer. I was thinking about this this week. We've, we've certainly in our church had times of tears recently. Uh, personally in my life, I've had a... Uh, I missed the funeral of, a, of an uncle of mine this week because we had another one here. And so I told Cindy, I said, you know, I need, I need Palm Sunday and I need Resurrection Sunday because I need to cheer. There comes moments and times when the people of God need to just break out of the attitude and the mood that has been placed upon us and just recognize for a moment that Jesus Christ is worthy of being cheered. We talk about being praised. He's worthy of being cheered. And Palm Sunday is about cheering for Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. Luke chapter 19, I'm going to begin with verse 28. said, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those that went were sent ahead and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Does that not sound like cheering to you? Joyfully with loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Lord, on this Palm Sunday, we come before you and we celebrate you. You are worthy to be praised and you are worthy to be cheered. Thank you for everything that you do within our lives and your grace and your mercy to us. And I pray now that you would unleash within us the spirit of praise that brings about cheering for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a statistic this week that in America, this week, particularly from Thursday on, is the least productive work day of the entire year. Because March Madness begins. I literally told my wife Friday, I was home, uh, I was homesick Friday. Honestly, I was really, really, 
not feeling good. And I laughed when I discovered that they said some 36% of the workforce calls in sick on that day uh, because of everything that's going on. And so this week, we know that March Madness began. How many of you are not basketball fans? I am so sorry. You live in Syracuse, New York, and Syracuse is in the tournament. So for some of you, you won't get this, but you're going to have to bear witness for all the rest of us that do. There came a moment in time when even when I didn't feel good and I was running a small fever, I discovered I was still able to cheer. It was amazing to me. And there came this moment when Syracuse was playing Dayton and, and they were pulling ahead that if there had been anybody in the room with me, I would have chest bumped them. There was moments when we would make three-pointers and I was going, yes, fist pumping. I was high-fiving the walls. And as we came down to the point where it became obvious that we were pulling away and we were going to win this, I began to want to hear them say the term Syracuse University again and again because I wanted our university to get more recognition. Now, what time do we play today, by the way? Six? Oh, hallelujah, it's not a noon game. Prayer starts at six tonight. Oh, hallelujah. March Madness is about recognition for different teams, and Palm Sunday is about recognition as well. Recognition's a wonderful thing. It seems kind of bittersweet to most because most of the time when people get recognized for something, it generally means that they are at the end of something. After 50 years of working in a corporation, you might get a gold watch and you enjoy your watch, but as you walk out the doors, you begin to recognize that what they gave you recognition for was something that's about to end and that was for your life. It's interesting how that works. I recall a story that I read about a missionary that was returning from Africa after being there for 40 years, literally giving his life. He'd had family that had died while he was there, and he had buried them there. And as he's on the ship coming back into New York, on the same boat was a United Nations ambassador who had spent the last six weeks in Africa taking a tour, having people giving him a guided tour. And as they got near the dock, there was a band that was playing that was waiting for him. And and there was flags that were being waved. And American flags were going back and forth. And as the missionary stood at the rail and he looked at all of this, he recognized that none of this recognition was for him. Even though he'd been there for 40 years, this was all for the ambassador who'd been there for six weeks. And as he began to think about that, he said, I know that I will have to wait until I see the Lord face to face for my recognition to come. And I'm willing to wait because it will be worth it all. There's coming that day when all of us will have recognition. But Palm Sunday marks a recognition day for Jesus. It was a life that he had lived and a ministry that he had given that had had so little recognition through it throughout his lifetimes because nobody had stood up and cheered for him during his times of ministry. He didn't receive any gifts from people. He didn't have lines of people that were waiting just to cheer him for all of the miracles that he did. He didn't send fundraising letters out to everybody asking them to to pour money into his ministry so that he could just maintain his ministry and his lifestyle. In fact, biblically, the only time that we ever see that he received a gift was the night before when in Bethany somebody poured out a bunch of alabaster oil upon him and anointed him to prepare him for his burial. Otherwise, 
his ministry had been gift-free and had been without recognition. But Palm Sunday becomes the Lifetime Achievement Award of recognition for Jesus. But the downside to that is that also with that recognition commences the last week before he lays down his life. So the recognition was late in coming. One of the surprising features about Palm Sunday is that this parade that Jesus is in is one that he planned for himself. He is saying to the people, I know who I am. I know what I can do. I know what I have done and I know what I will do. And so he comes in riding as a king. He comes as a king riding into Jerusalem. He comes as a king riding into our hearts. And even as he had taught the disciples that they could not deny him before men, neither could he deny himself before the people of earth as he came riding in as the king and declared himself, this is my parade and your opportunity to cheer. And we look at this and We recognize that it's not self-serving about planning his own recognition. But it should be noted that this was not a Rose Bowl parade where somebody elected him to be the Grand Marshal. This is Jesus who by his very nature came riding into Jerusalem with the declaration that I am the king of all of a kingdom that you know nothing about. And we notice that there was a lot of cheering on this day for Jesus. And I want to share with you some reasons that we likewise should cheer the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. First of all, I want you to cheer because we have a king that asks permission. There was a passage of scripture that indicates that as Jesus was getting ready, he sent a couple of his disciples to go in and to find a colt that was there. And he said, when you find this colt, untie it. And when the owner comes out to ask you why you're untying the colt, just tell them, The Lord needs it. Jesus holds the title of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus holds the title of the Prince of Peace. And yet, owning everything that there is as part of creation and knowing that He created the earth from His own voice and everything that is there, He still asks permission to use a cult. One of the things that I love about this is the fact that this also demonstrates the nature of Jesus to us today. He owns everything about us. Our very life is dependent upon the Holy Spirit telling our heart to beat again. The Holy Spirit telling our lungs to breathe again. In one moment, He could change all of that. Everything we are, we depend upon Him. And yet, He does not force His Lordship upon us. He comes as one who asks permission. Interesting enough, in the historical context of this passage, a colt was a very expensive item and would have been considered a luxury for most of the households in that time. And so, as a result of that, there were co-ops that would own colts together or families that would pool their money together. And so, it may be that Jesus had the foresight, perhaps he knew that this colt was going to be there because the Holy Spirit told him. Perhaps he had the prevision of it. Perhaps he had been through Bethpage often enough to know that this is where the co-op that owned this colt tied it up every day. What we do know is that the ownership of this came out when they were untying it, as you and I would if somebody jumped into our car without permission. And they said, what are you doing? They said, Jesus needs this. In other words, are you willing 
to let the Lord use this colt. Jesus always asked permission before he uses our lives as well. There's a fear that a lot of people have in our world today that if they yield to the Holy Spirit that God's going to make them do something they don't want to do. I declare to you that the Holy Spirit and our God is the most gentleman of an individual that you will ever meet. Before he does anything in your life, he asks permission. He stands at the door and knocks, the Bible said. And he says, then he gives you the opportunity whether or not you will open the door to him and let him come in. And he says, and if you do, he will come in with you and sup with you. In other words, he will have relationship with you, but not because he broke into your life, but because as the gentleman he is, he comes and he asks permission. There will be those of us that will stand before the Lord at the judgment time who will have allowed him in because he asked permission that will rejoice and cheer in that moment. And there will be those who ignored the knock on the door and who told him, no, you cannot come in because I'm afraid you're going to mess up my life who will not be able to enjoy the presence of the gentleman of the Holy Spirit because in their choice they said no. He comes before you and not as one that barges into your life to take of your time, but he offers every day when he says, my mercies to you are new every morning, and he offers to have communion with you, but he asks first. He doesn't make you have the time for him. He asks that we would give to him financially, that we would honor him with our tithe and 10%, which he says, it all belongs to me, but I'm not going to take it from you. I want you to offer it, and if you do, my blessing will be upon you, but I ask as a gentleman rather than taking it from you. When it comes to making vital decisions, Jesus will not force his way on you, but he waits for you to ask permission so that he can give you the wisdom and the leading that you need to make the right decisions within your life. There's no greater joy to any of us than to be able to cheer a Jesus who asks permission rather than just barging in. Our God will always ask permission. Secondly, we cheer a king whose power often goes unnoticed. We see Jesus as he comes in. And he does so humbly, yet in declaration that he is a king. He doesn't come riding a stallion as a great military conqueror into a city. But in fulfillment of the prophecy that we find in Zechariah 9.9, a prophecy that was made 168 years before Jesus came walking into or marching into Jerusalem on this colt, he comes in in fulfillment of prophecy. And he comes humbly, even though he's the king of all. And that again is how he enters our life. He enters humbly, and many, many times his power goes unnoticed within our life. There's an interesting description that is given here in Scripture about this particular cult. That for any of you that know and love horses, or any of you that, like me, grew up in farm country, would stick out to you. It says that this cult that Jesus rode had never been ridden before. Did you see that in Scripture? I've broken horses before. I've been broken by horses before as well. I want you to know that this is a miracle that goes unnoticed here. That Jesus would ride on a colt that's never been ridden before, and it doesn't say that it bucked its way down the streets of Jerusalem. 
It doesn't say that it threw Jesus off several times and that there were several people having to hold this thing down as Jesus. It says that Jesus got on a colt that's never been ridden for. And then look at the circumstances surrounding his entry. There are people that are throwing palm branches in the face of this colt. They're waving coats around. They're screaming and hollering. They're causing distraction. They're throwing their clothes on the road. Now I can tell you that horses don't want anything around their feet that's unusual to them. And yet the scripture says that he took a colt that had never been ridden for. And it was tamed by Jesus instantaneously for him to fulfill prophecy. And this, just like most of the deeds of his power, goes unnoticed by so many. I was in an interview within the last couple of weeks with a young man and his new bride. And they were giving testimony to us of how Jesus had changed their lives. He said, before I became a Christian and before I gave my life to Christ, I was totally and completely strung out on drugs and totally dependent upon them. He goes, I was addicted in the worst possible way. He said, somebody came to me in one of my addicted states and began to share the love of Jesus Christ to me. And he said, he laid hands on me and prayed with me and I received Jesus. And he said, I was one of the few that instantaneously Jesus delivered me from a desire for drugs. I was instantaneously transformed. He said, I got up from that room that day. I walked out with this man in my right mind and I've never desired drugs again. He goes, it was only the power of God that can do something like that. He says, as I walked out, I met a young lady who had had the exact same thing happen, and together they have put their lives together in marriage and are endeavoring to join the ministry because of the power of God. And he said, you know what? Nobody from the newspaper ever came to write an article about the power of God in my life. None of the police officers that had known me in the past ever asked me why my life is so different. He says it's just another miracle that God does. He performs every day that goes unnoticed because we have a God that we cheer who has a power that's at work within our lives that so many times nobody notices. But the Lord touches lives and makes them different. Between my senior year in high school and my first year of college, I have an uncle at that time that was uh, an executive in an oil refinery in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he told me, he says, listen, if you want to make some good money, why don't you come down? We'll put you on, on a team that we ended up painting the smokestacks of the oil refineries where the flames came out of the top. So there was a couple of us from college that, that were going to college that they put on a team of people. It was the roughest people I've ever been around in my life. It really helped me understand I wanted to go to college, <laughs> which I think was the plan in the first place. They used to give us payday on Wednesday morning and then at lunch break I discovered that most of the crew that I work with some of them very very hardened men and a couple of ladies that gave their men a run for the money we would get paid and as they would go out for lunch at the gate the families of most of them would be there to meet them to take the check from them because if they didn't they would go at the end of the day to the bar cash it and they would drink most of it before they ever got home to take care of their families and so when I read a story recently I begin to understand it in a better way when one of the men talked about that he had been an alcoholic and he said, I used to get my paycheck and if my wife wasn't at the gate, I would go and I would drink it all. And he says, I would practically lose everything that we had there. He says, then one day somebody came and told me about Jesus. 
told me that I had hope in him. And he says, I received Jesus as my Savior. And he delivered me from drinking. And he said, I went back to work. And he said, I went back to the same people that I'd been hanging around with. And I began to tell them about how Jesus had changed my life. And he changed my desires and how he was working with me. And had delivered me and was bringing about a holiness. And he said, they didn't know how to respond or react. So they started to tease me. They begin to bring up all of the things that they thought were inconsistencies in the Bible. And he said they would cuss at me and they would tease me unmercifully. And they would start throwing questions about, do you really believe that God did this in the Bible? And do you really believe that in the Bible? And he said, and one of them came up to me and he said, do you really believe that God turned water into wine? Can you really believe any of that? And he said, I got to the point where I didn't know what to say. So I just told him, stop, stop. I don't know. I wasn't there about all that. But this is what I can tell you. In my life, in my home, for my wife and my kids, they will tell you the testimony that in my life, Jesus turned beer into furniture, turned it into care in my life, because he's a God that has great power that oftentimes goes unnoticed, but in his coming, he comes with authority. That's the idea behind the Palm Sunday parade. Jesus is concisely telling us, I am the king and I come with authority and if you will allow me to, I will do great things within your life. Everybody that is in this room this morning that follows Jesus Christ, you do it out of the freedom of your own will. It requires no external motivation. He doesn't pressure you to serve him. It's an inward decision that we have made to live a life loyal to this king. And life without the king of kings is not all that it could be. For those of you that think, I can do it my way. I can do everything I want and I'm still going to be okay. I want you to understand that you are missing out on the joy of serving the one who loves you more than you could ever begin to dream. I do know that we are in an an age in the church that Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II talked about. He entitled the term cheap grace. He said there will come a day when people will claim the title of Christian without really repenting. There will come a day when people will conscientiously, conscientiously seek not to obey the word of God yet be stamped with the title of a follower of Christ. He said, there will come a day where our culture will have all kind of people that will want to lay claim to the promises of God without having to live the word of God. He said, those will be people that will have never really known the Jesus Christ that rose again. Will have never really known the joy of the purity of life and the purity of intentions that come from living a holy life. He says, it's cheap grace, grace without the cross, grace without obedience, Grace without commitment, grace without sacrifice. Yes, we have a God that's willing and worthy to be cheered today. And we cheer him because of his power. But he's worthy of our attention and worthy of our obedience. And we're going to acknowledge him as king. He deserves to be praised. There's a picture that I'd like to show you this morning. And we used it in a series not too long ago. This is the eastern gate of Jerusalem. There's prophecies about this gate. When Jesus returns again, he's going to come through this gate. And the Muslims have walled it up and they've built a cemetery on the outside of it because they believe that that's going to keep him from coming. They believe that they have effectively removed the ability of the Messiah to come back because of a few stones. 
I want you to know that there's coming a day when we are going to be there with him. And we're going to be riding in on white horses with him as that begins to collapse. And Jesus, the King of kings, in all power and all authority, goes right through that eastern gate and declares to everybody that I am the king with all power and all authority and nothing will hold me back. But on Palm Sunday, before that was walled up, Jesus went through those gates riding on a colt. And the Bible declares to us on that particular day that people were there that had performed miracles on, that were there to celebrate with him. And I want you to visualize with me as the parade goes through that when it was still something that was relatively new. And you can picture in your mind the paralytic man who had been lowered through a roof one day on an afternoon home Bible study and right in front of Jesus and he heals him. I can guarantee you he was at that gate, that parade that day and he's running around and he's shouting glory to the Lord. I can guarantee you that blind Bartimaeus was there. A man who could not see until Jesus came and he's running around and he's shouting and he's celebrating and he's cheering. Jesus helped me and I can see today. I believe that the lepers that he healed, and particularly the one from Galilee, was there. He was the one who had had his limbs eaten away by leprosy that Jesus touched, and they came back. And he was clapping his hands, and his fingers weren't falling off. Because Jesus Christ had come and had healed him, and he was cheering him for the power that God had displayed within his life. I can guarantee you Lazarus was there. He may have been leading the parade. Because just a few days before that, he had been in a tomb of death when Jesus came and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And that dead man stood up somehow with the help of angels and he came walking out of that tomb. And I would imagine that he probably was waving the death clothes that he had had on him as a symbol of the power of our living God who declared, I have authority over all things. Oh, there was cheering that was going on that day. In Revelation chapter 19 Verses 11 through 16, I want you to know that there will be cheering again one day that we'll be a part of. And it says this, I saw the heavens standing open and there was before me a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a white robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. That's us. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword to which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, somebody stand up and cheer the King of Kings this morning who's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah to the King. Hallelujah to the king hallelujah to the king oh great and glorious god we celebrate your power oh lord we celebrate your power praise the lord hallelujah 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 you may be seated and this jesus who came walking into jerusalem that day is one that we cheer because he weeps for his subjects. This parade in Jerusalem, this recognition of Jesus, closes on a downside, for it tells us 
that as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept. Every one of you at one time or another has come in and you're driving on Interstate 81 and you come over the hill and there's one moment in time there you see the whole city. If you come at night and there's something going on in the dome, you see this blob of white that's glowing. You see the lights all the way from the north to the south. There's some places, if it's clear, you can see all the way to the power plant in Oswego. There's that moment. And I've often thought... That's what it had to be like for Jesus as he crested the hill. And he overlooks the whole city of Jerusalem. Everything that's taking place there. And in that moment as people are cheering him and celebrating his power, he stops for a moment and he begins to weep and he wept because he foresaw the rejection of the city of himself. He knew that they were going to turn their back on him. He knew that what he could bring to them was peace, but instead they would choose violence. He knew that what he offered them was life, and he knew instead they would choose destruction. In fact, years later when he prophesied, 70 years later, the Romans would come in and they would destroy the temple, and they would dismantle it stone by stone, exactly as he prophesied on that day. And the reason they took it off stone by stone is because they thought that there had been melted gold that had held all those stones together, and they wanted to rob the temple of it, so they took every stone to look for the gold that would be melted between those two stones. Completely fulfilling what Jesus said. There was a man by the name of Bruce Larson and Lloyd Ogilvy. Lord Lloyd Ogilvy pastors a church in a Presbyterian church in Hollywood, California. These two men were in Israel together, and they were doing a little tour, and they took a taxi cab one day from Jerusalem to Bethany. It was just about two or three miles out of Jerusalem, and at Bethany they visited the tomb of Lazarus coming out of that they decided that they had all day and so they wanted to retrace the steps of Jesus on his triumphant entry and so they begin their journey as they begin to walk these miles together as they came over the crest of the hill through the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem as they remarched what Jesus did on Palm Sunday he said and on their way there were children that came around them and were playing and laughing and giggling and just seemed to really add something to the ambiance of what was taking place there and as they came over and Jerusalem unfolded before them he said the sight was incredible and Bruce Larson said we were so happy that these children had joined us because it seemed as if they were recreating the parade with us but then just as they were coming over to see Jerusalem he said reality was yanked back to us when one of the little boys tugged on his sleeve and said mister we've walked with you for a while now would you like to have my sister she lives right over here and he said suddenly again I understood why Jesus wept over Jerusalem People are still being betrayed. People are still being sold. Human life is still cheap, and life without God is still awful. Jesus wept, and he said, in that day, I understood why. Jesus knew that the rejection of him would bring ruin to the city, and he offered a different kind of kingdom. And today, he offers to us a different kind of kingdom because he knows that what he offers us today is we can have life and that more abundantly Or we can choose things our own way, knowing that it will ultimately lead to our destruction and eternity without Jesus Christ. Today we cheer a king who's worthy of recognition. He's a gentleman. He comes with authority. And he weeps deeply for us, his subjects. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. 
I've asked them if they would lead us in that song that we sang. And at the end of that, I want to give opportunity for us to respond to Christ. Would you please stand with me as they come and we prepare ourselves? Praise the name of the Lord.